I own every issue of Wolverine. Ooh. And I'm Shannon from Down the Webline, and I own a few issues of Wolverine. <laughs> and you're listening to the Untold Talks of Wolverine, where we'll be unearthing deeper cuts and forgotten stories of Spider-Man lore. Our goal is to find lost gems and sometimes cut through some terrible ones so that you don't need to read them. <laughs> and discover what it truly means to be a Wolverine story, right? Right, right. Uh, this time, we're approaching a block, which is a bromance of two Batmans kissing with webs, which is Wolverine and Spider-Man. The title comes from, if you look at Wolverine's costume straight on, looks like two Batmans are, you know, mouth to mouth. Clever. <laughs> yes. This story is Going Underground, which takes place in Wolverine Ongoing Volume 1, numbers 156 and 157. Shouldn't be too hard to suss out, because I don't think any other run went that high in the numbers. This was published on November 1st of 2000, with writers Eric Stephenson and Rob Lifefield. Yeah. Penciler Ian Churchill and cover artist Ian Churchill with Norm Rutmond. So this is a whole ball of wax that I decided to lob onto us. Appreciated. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm almost sorry. So if you're looking for this, you can find physical issues. They're actually a little more expensive than a lot of others. They're floating just above cover price for some reason. It's in the Wolverine Epic Collection number 13, Blood Debt, which is more noted for some early Deadpool appearances being held within. But this is on Comixology, and it should be in Marvel Unlimited. So there you go. Yeah. So the synopsis is, Wolverine is on the trail of a serial killer in the sewer system beneath New York City, where he teams up with Spider-Man and the NYPD to solve the mystery. Yeah, so... Exciting. Yeah, jumping right in, we kind of get a uh, news broadcast of what the problem is. There's been murders from something mm -hmm. that's underground. And Wolverine's investigating. He's sniffing around in the sewer, which seems like generally a bad plan. I think if you're hypersensitive to smells, sniffing too deeply in the sewer would be a bad idea. Yeah, you think he'd pass out. <laughs> um, but we get this long to-do about him being a mutant and persecution and life's hard. Yes. Uh, and there's a lot about people judging him. And I just couldn't help myself but think, like, maybe people are judging you because you smell like the sewer. I don't... <laughs> oh, a little bit. Or there's just the willingness to go in the sewer on top of that. I mean, all the cool kids do it. The Ninja Turtles do it, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's a well, weird thing. It, it, yeah, yeah, it kind of is. Okay, I'll give him that. <laughs> and before too long, because there are... I think it was eight murders? It was six or eight murders. Um, it was six murders. Okay, I overestimated. Give him yeah. too much credit. It, it's, it's, it's a number. You know, people die. It, that's bad. Lex Luthor stole, you know, six lives. That's bad. Uh, we quickly run into NYPD, which are sporting some Rob Liefeld costumes. D did these hit you at all? Uh, they're very shiny. I didn't expect them to be NYPD. They're just more like, uh, insert secret cabal of ninja people, whatever. So it's not particularly NYPD. They're all carrying very big science-y guns and wearing science-y skin-tight outfits. Yeah, and it's Lieutenant Tara Carson leading them, who quickly becomes the only one we have to worry about. There's two nameless lackeys with her, but... Yeah, it's, uh, it, they don't, they don't last terribly long. Look, if you're gonna show up in a comic book, have a name, otherwise, it's really on you. Yeah, they're, they're just red shirts behind. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wolverine and them tensely decide to get along because they're trying to stop murders, I guess. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a little difficult because, like, there's no, like, they want to get an argument, but just for the argument's sake, it's not really motivated by anything like you're on my turf or anything, it's just sort of, like, we're gonna have a problem so that we can then not have a problem. Which I think kind of hits a lot of what makes these two issues what they are, because this is, I, Rob Liefeld didn't have a run here. These are, these are the two issues he did, and then they moved on. Uh, so I guess filler. And everything happens so fast, you can't really lack on to, like, a lack of character meaning or whatever, because people keep getting interrupted or whatever it is. And so I guess its brevity is its benefit, because it doesn't let you last on something long enough to really judge it. Sure. 
So yeah, in the middle of them being a tense, some rock monster comes out and fisticuffs ensue. Yes. I do want to point out, though, that the art, at least, you know, and we'll talk about this as we move along, is that the art in the beginning is actually, you know, like, you can see that some time was put into it. They're having a lot of fun with the early version of Photoshop with the coloring and everything. And I don't particularly care for the style personally, but I can see, like, the real work that was put into it. And it's sort of disappointing later on when we see that fall by the wayside. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know a ton about Ian Churchill, but I know this is earlier for him, so I imagine, you know, he's getting some chops, and he's probably being put through some paces being under Rob Liefeld's pen, which mm. I say that less as, like, an artistic critique, more like, that guy's notorious for turning in things late, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And right when Wolverine's going for basically a kill shot on this monster, a bunch of webs appear, and thus so does Spider-Man. Yes. Which we get that classic two-page spread, except you have to turn the comic vertical. And Wolverine says, Spider-Man in the logo with an exclamation mark. <laughs> I want to be able to yell things in logos. I think that's pretty amazing. I think that actually is a superpower. Yeah, it's... I'm kind of glad they stopped doing this for the most part, because it's one of the cornier parts of Marvel Comics in particular, and I just... It pulls me out every time. <laughs> I also want to give credit to Spider-Man for staying out of the water. Everyone else is waiting in, like, hip-deep sewer water, and Spider-Man's like, no, not today. Yeah, which I thought he couldn't stick to sewer walls sometimes. That's been a plot point before, so mm. I don't know. Uh, but uh, he has a look here. Ian Churchill draws him, bah, like, muscles coming out of muscles. Like, his forearms shoot over his biceps. Um, his abs are designed the same way that the armor is on the NYPD, and he has a, a cod piece. He sure does. I, <laughs> I, it's just, it's a look. So, I don't know, more fisticuffs and more bickering between Wolverine and Spider-Man, which we do get a fun play to the idea of the Morlocks and the sewers, which was relevant because at the time there's this whole back and forth between Morrow and Spider-Man that was really interesting that I'd like to explore at some point. And just by referencing those stories, it lifted this one up a notch. Well, what I liked was Wolverine telling Spider-Man to shut up and then immediately asking him a question afterwards. Yeah, shut up and listen and tell me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and continue our conversation. So there's a lot of that where, like, the banter and everything like that, it's there, but it has this perfunctory feel to it like shut up but then it doesn't really mean shut up it means we're, we have this thing that's what we're going to do this part of the story like the surface level yeah it's yeah and after that we pretty much end up with oh no the monster is one of the mole mans which is kind of interesting to me because the last time i believe these two ran into the mole man certainly the last time they ran into them together was when they were part of the fantastic four but it isn't touched on at all everyone's just kind of aware of each other and their reputations in the story yes uh, yeah. it's perfunctory yeah. Um, and from there we move to the second issue. I find it funny that they don't mention Spider-Man on the second issue cover at all. Because that's, sort of, that's the sort of thing you do to bump sales and it just seems like it would make more sense. Yeah, and I think we get back to how the second issue feels very rushed. So the fact that Spider-Man's not on the cover is not terribly surprising considering how quickly they start moving through the story. So like in the first issue we have them fighting Moleman's sentry guards or whatever. And then finally at the very end encountering Moleman. And then now we have this issue and you'll see suddenly we're picking up the pace probably a little too quickly. Yeah. Um, and then immediately it's Moleman slay the surface dwellers and there's this image of the mole man like clamoring up each other to get to spider-man which was on a cover of avenging it was just funny to me like it's a pretty gripping image and i guess it's one we've seen a few times now. <laughs> yeah uh, the little hordes yeah yeah little hordes of yellow minion men i <laughs> I don't know where we've seen that before. I think uh, some movie might have stolen that idea. Yeah, so so now that's a Marvel movie. <laughs> uh, I, I like Wolverine's fight with Mole Man, mostly because I think Wolverine finally gets to fight someone who's shorter than him. And we also see that Wolverine's greatest weakness is, in fact, fighting people who are shorter than him. I mean, how do you prepare for that? <laughs> I know. He just had no one to help him with that. Well, my favorite little bit here in this entire little story is how sympathetic Mole Man is. Like... You know, it's like, you invaded my domain, we're fighting, but you're worried about these murders. That can't stand. I want to take over the world, but I want to do it, you know, justly, because I'm better than you. So I'm going to help you with this and get off my land. Well, there's also this weirdness in that he created these sentries to go deal with these invaders on his territory, and they went up and they just killed a whole bunch of people in the sewers. I mean, they were, like, these science-y NYPD people, but it's like, ethically? Like, you just killed 
a bunch of people, like the same number of people, like six people. Yeah. Like, so there's like this weird ethical deviousness that wasn't quite thought through here. Yes. Um, it's, yeah, it's a weird characterization. And I also really like the fact that the mole men are carrying mole man on some rock, you know, just like he's surfing to wherever he's going. It's <laughs> bizarre. It is. And then we get introduced to the guy who killed the original six people, this man named Carver, who just looks like a guy without a shirt. <laughs> he... He lost his shirt. He lost the middle of his shirt. Yeah. It was tragic. That's why he's down here. Oh. Well, <laughs> he I found a cigar. <laughs> he did. He did. The makeup was how he's soothing his ego. Oh, so it's interesting, like, up to this point that they keep mentioning Morlocks. But they, like, like a Chekhov's gun because we find out that Carver is indeed a Morlock and he's leading some Morlocks. But they spent so much time, like, saying it couldn't be Morlocks that when it ended up being Morlocks, I was kind of thrown off. Like, I was, like, it's it's one of those things, like, maybe you would mention once just as a, to plant the seed. Yeah. But here they overplanted, I feel. And then when it turns out it was Morlocks, I was like, well, that was kind of, all right, like, why? And then you, you, it becomes a why question, and then that is the wrong question to ask in the story. Profoundly, the wrong question. But they're all, they're considered Morlocks, but they're also just two random characters that, so far as I know, we haven't seen or heard from before. Maybe they're mentioned in some story else, but these are not, like, Morlock characters, you know. It's this Carver guy and this big furry beast thing that looks like a Wendigo. Yes. That's it. It really is. There's a couple lackeys that hassle our wonderful uh, NYPD uh, lady and Spider-Man, but otherwise it's just the two. Yeah, um... And then we end up near a cliff in the sewer. Oh which... no, because they had to, they had, because here's the other problem is that when you have things like Morlocks, you you don't explain anything. You're like, okay, we're going to have now a fight over, fight to the death over who rules this clan of Morlocks. Like it automatically jumps to that without any sort of explanation or planting any kind of reasoning or anything. It just sort of jumps into, now we're going to fight over this chasm. Uh, hopefully Wolverine lives. Right, but it's less about Wolverine living. It's more about whether or not they're able to save this Wendigo monster and Carver. And Spider-Man's trying to lift them up and Wolverine kind of doesn't really care. <laughs> Well, it, yeah, because they get in the fight, and then the Wendigo guy is kind of simple-minded and wants to jump into the fight, and then he falls, and then the Carver guy is like, oh no, he's like a child, we have to save him, he's innocent, even though he goes out and eats people, and... He's just hungry. He's just hungry, he's just, yeah, so we have to save him, and then it just becomes this sort of, yeah, yeah. They, they just end up falling, let's just call it that. They try to save them, like, weekly, a week effort to save them, and it doesn't work out, and then that's it, bye-bye. Oh, Problem wow. solved. Yeah, like, Spider-Man doesn't care at all. No, like, Wolverine's like, they, like, like Spider-Man's reaction is, oh man, like, just, like, Shots. darn it. <laughs> like, like, he just dropped his ice cream cone. <laughs> Not, not two people who are alive. And I can come. And then I love the last couple lines Wolverine has here. Could we have had more closure, a more definitive resolution? Maybe, but this will do. That was that was clearly somebody just walking away and being like, yeah, I don't know. If yeah. anyone likes these characters, they'll come back. Otherwise, we're good. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. This is not a lost gem. This is this is something that should remain buried. <laughs> for everyone's reputation but i guess what kind of got me here is like how much this doesn't work but at the same time the characters feel like themselves despite not fully acting like themselves it's a it's kind of a rare oddity to get something that's stilted yeah i think it's like the the surface level again we get back to the to the actions that we're so familiar in seeing in team-ups or even between like wolverine and spider-man like they fulfill the expectation of those of those encounters and, and events but there's no reason behind it there's no theme there's no character arc it's just like, what you see on the surface, you don't go any deeper. So maybe yeah. it's a little fool's gold, you know? Like, it's not really a gem. It's sort of like, oh, it's shiny. And then you look at it a little closer and you're like, oh, no, this is just iron pyrite. This isn't gold. <laughs> yeah, but it's also kind of sort of the Sonic standard thing, I guess. Like, this is how I think more people thought of comics back in this day. Like, mm -hmm. these very disposable, forgettable kind of stories. Not everything was going for a major character revelation. It was more just an adventure you punched your characters through. And in a way, it's a bygone era, an example of a reason why we're glad some of it's gone. But it also, like, there's so many stories that... I'd like to see that's maybe a bit more like this than trying to mine some new personal tragedy for Peter. I agree. I agree. There's not enough 
to sort of fun stories that don't require like deeper themes. Because you can't have all these because these characters, they're not static. They obviously move over time, like their motivations and the different traumas that happen to them and different successes that happen to them affect them over time. But they're from story to story, they tend to be static. And so having these revelatory things are going to not quite work with the next story that's not going to have any pull from what just happened. It's just not, you know, Peter could have like a big moment here, you know, like someone fell, he can be like, oh crap. But in Amazing Spider-Man, the next issue, he's not going to be like, oh, that thing that happened. Typically not. Sometimes they refer back to things that happen in other stories, but usually it's just to try and tie the two things together real quickly and not to have it be this big thing that affects that character through the next story. Totally. Oof. So, kind of offbeat here, but I was looking for other sources, of opinions on these comics. I couldn't really find anything. What I did find was something that I kind of wanted to comment on real quick because it's funny to me, like, within the Spider-Man fandom, we have our points, and, you know, we hear of other podcasts and things, but there's also Spider-Fan, which is kind of a go-to way to get at least someone's opinion on these books, usually tighter to when they were released. And it can usually find, you know, someone's thought on a given issue. Uh, but the X-Men fandom is kind of a different cut. And so I was able to find something that's a lot more of what's easier to find uh, which was on uncannyxmen.net, this very just like perfunctory, you know, like this is what happened in the comic. And they have a quick sum up, which is a couple paragraphs. And then they just have like a, you know, a whole entry, which is basically a prose retelling of the issue. <laughs> and I don't know, it, it, there's a lot of stuff online that like if you're interested in comics, but you don't want to buy them or address them another way. Like I know there's a number of YouTube channels that are basically just flipping through the comic. Maybe you get some like commentary, maybe you don't uh, that exist. And I just always found that so trite. It's it's like the worst way to access a comic in my mind. Like why wouldn't you just want to read it at that point? And I know that's my preference on some level, though I think there's something else going on there. Um, and so, I don't know, just thank you for checking out the show if you're listening. Thank you for hopefully, you know, reading at least, not this one in particular, but you know, when you're moved to go read a comic, you know, actually just going and reading and enjoying the stuff the way it should be done. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Just, just something that kind of came up in the process of doing this. So, I guess my big question this time is, we kind of already covered this, do you feel like the Spider-Man we read here is Spider-Man, or is this kind of not quite Spider-Man in this book? Um, I think this is a story that could have happened with no Spider-Man in it. Yeah. It could have been just a straight Wolverine story. Like, Spider-Man wasn't actually necessary to the story. He had no impact on it, other than to throw out some quips and be a conversation, someone who Wolverine could have a conversation with about what was happening in the moment, and that was about it. So, yeah. is it the Spider-Man we know on the surface? Yeah. Was he necessary to the story? No. Totally, totally. All right, so... <laughs> web of rankings! Yeah, where do you think on the web of rankings? You know, number, like, 13? You know? Oh, my gosh, definitely the top 15, for sure. <laughs> I'm gonna say after 60. After 60. So we have 75 entries, so that's the bottom 15. Um, let's see here. So number 60 is Spider-Man India, which... And this was not as good as. Um, just because I mean, Spider-Man India had so much weird cultural stuff, even if a lot of it was kind of relying on the art in some ways. Um, I just think that one is such an interesting little spec. Um, Anniversary Syndrome, Spider-Man 44. Uh, that's kind of a do-nothing-but-there's-some-moments in there. This is such a kind of garbled mess. Let's see here. With Great Power, the miniseries retelling. Oh, yeah, that was the teeny bopper one. At least that was coherent. Sorry, I'm just going through these. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe I should just punch down. Oh, there we go. Media Blizzard. Yeah, this is a hair better than Media Blizzard. <laughs> Um, and I would certainly say, and maybe one that we should revisit sometime, is Marvel Knights 1 through 12. I know that's a lot of people, a lot of people's, uh, not necessarily favorite, but one they have strong positive feelings towards. That's R65. Um, so I'm gonna do that one at least a small favor and make this, you know, bump it up a little. Yeah. So I'll draw a line between, uh, Marvel Knights and Media Blizzard, which I think is important because those are different chunks of the list and they really should be. Marvel Knights was something King Knight at the time didn't really like. Media Blizzard's kind of bad. <laughs> Yeah. So now we have 76 entries on our list. Mm -hmm. We did the 75th episode without much aplomb because wouldn't have made much sense. Mm. <laughs> All right, next time we're doing another Wolverine Spider-Man team up, but I promise everyone it is more fun. It is bizarre. It is crazy. It is off the wall. It takes place before the one you think of when you think Wolverine and Spider-Man. And uh, mm. yeah, it's a, it's a ride. <laughs> 
It's two <laughs> issues, but it feels like what would be at least six now. Awesome. Looking forward to it. All right. So, yeah. Thanks for joining us. If you want to support, you can hop on the Patreon, which is linked in the show notes. You know, Buck gets you in the Slack. Four bucks gets you exclusive podcasts. Ten bucks gets you exclusive art. You're supporting two shows. What a deal. Thank you to the Ellie Badge for providing the theme song. And, I don't know, until Shannon goes sniffing around in the sewers, make my adult. <laughs> Oh, I'm staying away from the series. <laughs> <laughs> Probably smart. <laughs> Alrighty. Thank you, everyone.